last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Pushing uh, whatever that is, like a giant dowel around in a circle to power something. Gerbil Wheel's a little better. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And I wanted to put something in about putting out the torch or passing the torch. I was like, fuck, man, I don't have time to do all that. And get out of here. No one wants to visualize (laughs) your seasonal ball hang. And people by now have to know that this show is definitely about jumping people's shit. And no, there isn't a deeper metaphor there. And and he doesn't move like a guy who ran a 727 or whatever his three cone was. Whatever number it was that I've chosen to forget. Was he drunk? Maybe. Maybe he was. I would rather go with that than for him to admit that he was fully prepared and that was the best he was capable of. You would rather Dalvin Cook be a full-blown drunk as long as it can nullify the three cone. And. Are we ready for takeoff? And. Is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, how is it going? Oh, it's going so well. I am loving life. Beautiful day in Connecticut. Player profiler traffic is up. Podcast downloads are up. Oh, we're doing well. I'm doing well. Everything is well. That's good to hear. I I thought to myself, look, it's been a bumpy week after last week's episode. We need a little positivity. This is going to be a positive episode. Yes. It's been a bumpy week. Yes, I've heard about this, that there's some people are mad at us, Nate. You guys just went too far. That's the extent that I know that there's negative sentiment out there on social media about our show. Because I have TweetDeck, and I highly recommend TweetDeck for everyone. It's great. It allows me to create these custom Twitter feeds so I don't have to see the nonsense criticisms of our show. I can bask in the glory of the downloads and the success. Our podcast, Nate. Listen to this. Our podcast is one of five fantasy football shows in the top 120 on iTunes Sports and Recs category. Mm, moving up the charts, my friend. It's us, Matthew Barry, and the Fantasy Footballers, and a couple other shows that I've never heard of. Thank you, show haters, for bringing attention to us and making us as popular as ever. Oh, I love it. I'm so happy. Yeah, sometimes stirring up controversy is a good thing. It's never backfired for us, and despite the week that we've had, things are looking way up, Matt. It's a good day. Yeah, we're undefeated. We, we are undefeated. Our podcast is undefeated, and it will continue to be undefeated for the foreseeable future. And I know people are thinking, well, you guys are going to have to respond on your show. You were criticized on Twitter. No, no, no. I'm in a great place. We're taking the high road. I'm not responding to lame tweets. It's not what I do. Twitter beefs are universally lame. Never in the history of Twitter has a Twitter beef not been lame. So no, I don't participate in Twitter beefs. So corny. And I take the high road. What's the highest road? I'm on whatever road is the highest road in the world. I'm on that road. Not going to address 
the negativity, all positivity. So what's on the agenda for today's show? Hit me with positivity. Okay, you know what? We need to keep it positive. We don't want to talk about the things that happened last week. Let's move forward. Let's ignore that. We're going to have a great episode. We did get a buzzard email, and if you want to contact the show, you can contact us at sonictruthpod at gmail.com. Oh, no. They're hitting us even via email? Why are you bringing this up? Don't we have something positive? No, this isn't negative, but somebody had some criticism from last week's show that we need to touch on real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Fine. It says, hey, Matt, after last week's episode, what happened to the fourth and fifth biggest losers? You guys stopped at number three. That's fair. That's the kind of buzzard message that we're going to read on the show because, correct, you got us. We forgot (laughs) about loser number four and loser number five. And what's interesting is both those losers are on the Houston Texans. Loser number four, Lamar Miller. Loser number five, Will Fuller. Now, Lamar Miller's a loser for a pretty obvious reason. The Texans acquired Dante Foreman. We've talked about Dante Foreman a lot on the show. You love Dante Foreman. I think Dante Foreman is a better between-the-tackles runner than Lamar Miller. And you think Dante Foreman is a better all-around player than Lamar Miller. Either way, Lamar Miller has serious competition for touches in that backfield now. Just look at the draft capital alone. Don't even look at the profile. Don't even look at Dante Foreman's 90th percentile speed score. Forget that. Forget the 2,000 yards he rushed for at Texas in 11 games last year. Just look at the fact that the Texans drafted him in the third round. Lamar Miller's touches are headed south. Lamar Miller has peaked. We've seen peak Lamar Miller in fantasy. I believe that from here on out, every year, Lamar Miller's touches are going to decline because he's a fake bell cow. Yep, it's it's true, man. I was sold on Lamar Miller a few years ago, and that is bad on me. Big it, mistake. It's an, you were wrong. It is a big mistake. I was. You were wrong. I can admit it. Yeah, you're owning it. You're owning it. What about Will Fuller? Were you ever a Will Fuller enthusiast? I'm not against Will Fuller. I just, I had my questions about him. He's a big play receiver. What were your questions about him coming into the league? Well, of course, he had the hands issue. What's the hands issue? What's the hands issue? Unnatural hands, body catcher, concentration drops. So I think for a guy that's that's a deep play receiver, that was something that concerned me. I liked him as a receiver who tracked the ball well over his shoulder, but his hands have always been suspect. You look at last year, 51% receiving percentage, played 14 games, 47 catches. This is a team that really didn't have a second receiver outside of DeAndre Hopkins. But believe it or not, even though Deshaun Watson throws hot air balloons out there, he's an upgrade on Brock Osweiler. So barely, barely. But that's the case for Will Fuller, right? Oh, they got a quarterback, Deshaun Watson. No, no, they didn't. Will Fuller does win in those deeper quadrants. He's not an intermediate technician. He's a deep threat that can't catch very well. And that is an issue. Last year, 51% catch rate, as you mentioned, that was 90th in the league. His drop rate, 6.5%, was top 20 in the league. So you have a low catch rate and a high drop rate, negative 17.7 production premium. So looking at every given down and distance, what was Will Fuller giving you on a per-target basis outside the top 90 last season? And we have a metric called target premium on playerprofiler.com, which factors out quarterback play, just looks at Will Fuller's per-target efficiency against the teammates in the passing game for the Houston Texans. Negative 3.2% target premium outside the top 60. So there's not a lot to like on the Will Fuller profile. The hope was that, well, Deshaun Watson will resuscitate his value. It's not going to happen. The only place that Will Fuller 
cranks out fantasy points is on those deep routes and with a 49 mile per hour throw velocity that's all Deshaun Watson can generate he's not going to be able to hit Will Fuller on deep outs on double moves like you said he's going to put way too much air under the ball and to put Will Fuller in terrible positions Will Fuller's best comparable player is already Mike Wallace so he already has a game very similar to Mike Wallace but instead of having Ben Roethlisberger early in his career Will Fuller has Brock Osweiler, Tom Savage, and Deshaun Watson. That's the opposite of Ben Roethlisberger. So Deshaun Watson does not enhance Will Fuller's dynasty stock at all. In fact, because they drafted Deshaun Watson and they didn't leave the door open for another quarterback with a stronger throwing arm that could take advantage of Will Fuller, I believe that Will Fuller was one of the big losers on draft day because now he's guaranteed for the next couple years to be saddled with a quarterback without requisite arm strength to succeed in the NFL, certainly with a deep ball. Will Fuller's fucked. The one glimmer of hope here for Will Fuller is target opportunity. He saw 92 last year in 14 games. So odds are he could be looking at 100 targets going into 2017. But like you said, rookie quarterback, probably more reliant on getting the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, who's more short area at times, than trying to get the ball to C.J. Fedorowicz, the tight end, which is the obvious go-to for a young quarterback. So I don't really know. The only player that's not hurt by the Deshaun Watson draft pick is C.J. Fedorowicz. Right. Because I would even argue that DeAndre Hopkins is unhappy with this draft pick because he operates on the outer edges of the field. Those out routes where he's high pointing the ball and then tiptoeing on the sideline. Well, those out routes across the field are also not something that Deshaun Watson specializes in with his weak throwing arm. Deshaun Watson can get the ball over the middle just fine. That's where C.J. Fedorowicz operates. Now, what are some other candidates for big loser designation from the NFL draft? What about Latavius Murray? Is he a big loser? Latavius Murray has to be a big loser. He came from a team that was right at about the top 10 for offensive line. He's now gone to a team that's at the very end of the league in efficiency as a run-blocking O-line. So just for starters, before you even factor in philosophy or the players around him. Or his inefficiency his entire career. Right, and you look at that O-line, that is troubling right off the bat. But then they sign him in the offseason and immediately in the second round take Dalvin Cook, a running back that we really liked that had a few metric issues that came to light after the combine. A few metric issues? You are obsessed with his three cone. I'm not going to talk about that three cone. I'm going to start tweeting you Dalvin Cook's three cone time every morning when I wake up. In fact, (laughs) I don't even have to tweet it when I wake up because I have this tweet deck app now. I can schedule tweets to be sent to you every single morning with Dalvin Cook's three cone time. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to start Saturday morning. You're going to start getting Dalvin Cook's three cone time in your mentions. Look out. Is TweetDeck paying you to say this? They have, they have come up a lot on this episode. TweetDeck is the new sponsor of the Sonic Truth Pod. No, no, <laughs> oh my no, God. no, I just like the app. I'm sorry. I like the app. Oh, man. Free promotion, TweetDeck. You can uh, get me back later. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. With Latavius Murray, there was a lot of things that came to light last year in an offense that he had a great O-line, an excellent passing game, all the reasons why a running back like him with his athleticism should have been successful. Should have been. But Latavius Murray wasn't a very efficient runner last year. He got the bare minimum. 
You did get the bare minimum, but you shouldn't get the bare minimum playing in Oakland, a team that's got an outstanding O-line, sometimes adds a sixth O-line in there. You've got run-blocking ability for days. This is why I didn't have him as a top-five loser because I never thought that Latavius Murray was ticketed for fantasy-relevant production in 2017 anyway. So the Vikings drafting Dalvin Cook was more of a nail in the coffin for Latavius Murray. He had a glimmer of hope that the Vikings could experience this exceptional offensive line turnaround this year. Not a good chance of that happening, but that was the glimmer of hope. But now, even if that does happen, he won't be the one to benefit. It will be Dalvin Cook. What about Mark Ingram? Was Mark Ingram a big loser? Oh my gosh. I own Mark Ingram everywhere, so this is a really tough topic for me to even broach. But You do own him everywhere, including the Roto Underworld Patrons League, in which you and I recently participated in a startup draft and i remember you fist pumping when you got mark ingram (laughs) seems like just yesterday (laughs) feels like it was just yesterday that's sort of the issue here um you know it's really unfortunate because mark ingram has been a pretty good runner over the last couple years i mean his production's been really good and now new orleans goes and adds a high-end pass catcher out of the draft. You know, people can question what he does in between the tackles as a runner. That's fine. I do. I don't think he is very good between the tackles at all. He'll never be an every-down runner. But Kamara is absolutely an electric satellite back. And that's fine. So that's one thing that everybody can universally agree on. Scouts, general fantasy football fans, Alvin Kamara is an exceptional receiver out of the backfield. And they haven't had a player of this level of talent out of the backfield since probably Darren Sproles. So this is a great fit for them. But then they go and they bring Adrian Peterson into town. Now, Adrian Peterson may be slightly aged, but it's impossible to predict whether... Washed. He may be washed, but he's going to get some carries, and he's probably going to chip into Mark Ingram's workload. Some carries? He's going to get a lot of carries. That's the problem. This is a crime what's happening to Mark Ingram, because Mark Ingram is the best all-around running back on that team, and it's not close. Go to playerprofiler.com, look up Mark Ingram's efficiency. The last few years, Mark Ingram has been one of the top running backs in yards per touch in the NFL. He's great between the tackles, he's great outside the tackles, he's great in the passing game. He should be their bell cow, but unfortunately, the general manager of the New Orleans Saints is conspiring against Mark Ingram, adding a between-the-tackles grinder with brand equity in Adrian Peterson, brand equity alone, and someone we would all agree is a very good satellite back, but they used third-round draft capital on him and traded a second-round pick in the future to get him. So he's guaranteed to see touches this year, too. So now Mark Ingram is caught in a touch squeeze, and of all the running backs in the NFL, he's one of the least deserving of being put in this situation. I feel bad for Mark Ingram. He deserves better. What about Spencer Ware? Spencer Ware a big loser? I guess. I like Kareem Hunt's college profile, but we need to remember that Kareem Hunt also not very athletic, much like Spencer Ware. Um, You know, Kareem Hunt was a, a very productive college player. If you look back to what he did as a senior last year at Toledo, 41 receptions, 1,400 rush yards, 10 touchdowns. So he's got the profile. He's a pass catcher. He can run well. People love his tape, but the guy is not a superior athlete. So, But in the passing game, that dog can hunt. Oh, my God. Is this happening right now? <laughs> Loser game show set. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
if you look at Kareem Hunt's 40 time, you can go to playerprofiler.com. All this information is there. 4.62 agility <sighs> score, 11.75, 12th Oof. percentile. Oof. So I'm not really sure that he's an upgrade over Spencer Ware. He's not. But Andy Reid likes Kareem Hunt. He's an upgrade over Sharkhandrick West. This was really bad for Sharkhandrick West, who was the quintessential replacement level running back all along anyway. We knew that about Sharkhandrick West. They draft Kareem Hunt to be their satellite back, replaced Sharkhandrick West in passing situations. It's not a big deal. So no, Spencer Ware was not a big loser on draft day. Nonsense. Now, we talked earlier about negative sentiments swirling around the show and how I don't pay attention to them. Except in this one case, I will tell you that I read an iTunes review yesterday that I need you to hear. It's a one-star review. Here it is. It's it's really good. Okay. It starts, wow, lots of Ws. Incredibly unfunny guys. They try really hard to sound crazy and intense, but they come across as really, really stupid. The fact even one of them has had intercourse blows me away. But both? Wow. Those poor women. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's good. Right? How good is that, right? <laughs> That's good. It's really good. Um, you know, he's not wrong. For all of you that are sending these lame unfunny criticisms of the sonic truth podcast on social media can you please learn from this negative review this is how you do it be creative be funny how hard is it to write something clever like this apparently it's really hard for people on football twitter to be clever and funny but gotta hand it to some of these people on itunes Great stuff. I'll take a one-star review all day. Love it if it's that funny and clever. When you open up with incredibly unfunny guys. What? <laughs> You're right, <laughs> right. Right? That's so good. And you that... close it with those poor women. <laughs> God. Our poor wives. Uh, this is so great. Yeah. Uh, it's um. That's one of the better ones that I've seen. I told you that I was going to abstain from going and looking at the iTunes reviews. We talked about this last season. It's been mentioned in this season. I'm done. But I'm glad you brought this one to my attention because I think even if I would have come across it, one star, it's not wrong. Nothing was wrong about it. It was great. Oh. We can be unfunny. And our wives are martyrs. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. Oh, that's good. That's a good iTunes review. Appreciate it. Keep them coming. We, we appreciate the honesty. And I had Ben Cummins on the Mind of Mansion show earlier this week. And I wanted to bring this to your attention because we talked a little bit of Dynasty on that show. And we were talking about Antonio Brown because Antonio Brown has come up a lot on the show. Because you know I love Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown were tethered to Marcus Mariota or Andrew Luck or Russell Wilson, I think we would look up in 10 years and realize... Oh my God, Antonio Brown is better than Jerry Rice. I think we devoted an entire show last season to talking about why the Dynasty League community simply does not fully appreciate Antonio Brown because so many are not discerning when it comes to projecting how players will age. But the issue now is Ben Roethlisberger's imminent retirement. A year ago, we didn't know that Ben Roethlisberger's time in the league would be cut short. Now, that looks to be the case. 
And why is that a problem? Well, we saw what happened to Des Bryant last year after losing Tony Romo, and Dak Prescott was as good as anyone could have hoped for in a Tony Romo replacement, and still, Des Bryant's fantasy output cratered last season. So given that, I thought it would be interesting to propose a trade, a hypothetical scenario where you would trade Antonio Brown and not trade him for another elite receiver in the top 10. No. Lateral trades are the equivalent of the jerk-off motion. (laughs) I just don't do them. I don't consider them. I don't think about them. Never. So if we're not going to talk about swapping just a top 10 player for a top 10 player, we're not talking about trading Antonio Brown for Amari Cooper or Antonio Brown for Odell Beckham Jr. If you can't do that, How would you go about constructing a fair exchange for Antonio Brown? This is a fun thought experiment, is it not? It is. It's really interesting because Antonio Brown is one of few players in this league that, you know, you and I both agree could be playing six years from now and still be awesome as productive. Awesome. I love Antonio Brown, but because I love Antonio Brown and many others have an emotional attachment to Antonio Brown as I do, it becomes complicated to discuss Antonio Brown trades, even in the hypothetical, because Antonio Brown's zealots in fantasy football simply do not believe that you should ever trade Antonio Brown unless you're getting back Odell Beckham Jr. or Mike Evans. So this hypothetical scenario is a non-starter for a lot of people, and I get it. In most cases, it would be a non-starter for me as well, because I almost always demand that I get the best player in any transaction. But there have been a handful of occasions in the past where my entire Dynasty League roster crumbled around a single player. So a few years back, I had Julio Jones, and that was about it. It was a two-quarterback league. I ended up trading Julio Jones for Marcus Mariota, David Johnson, Golden Tate, a first-round pick that became Carson Wentz, that became Terrell Pryor. So the trade ended up being something close to Julio Jones for Mariota, David Johnson, Terrell Pryor, Golden Tate. So that one trade allowed me to essentially rebuild my roster and be competitive instead of tanking on purpose and going through this elongated rebuilding process. So in certain situations, it makes sense to trade a centerpiece wide receiver in Dynasty. Again, most of my rosters are ready to win now, so I would never consider trading Antonio Brown. But in some situations, it could make sense. Now, I haven't done it because I have an irrational affinity for Antonio Brown. But unlike UTH, who was advocating trading him last year for Kevin White and Picks. Do you remember that? (laughs) Do you remember that? Yes. Kevin White's still going to hit. I would never do that. Again, because I'm discerning about how players age, and I believe Antonio Brown will be productive into his mid to late 30s. But on this Roto Underworld podcast with Ben Cummins, we were brainstorming, and we constructed what we thought was the bare minimum that would be required in an Antonio Brown exchange? What's the bare minimum that you think would be fair? And Chris Whitman from the Dynasty League Happy Hour podcast posted a poll with this hypothetical deal, and the voting came back 50-50, which is all you could hope for. So the deal was Antonio Brown for Doug Baldwin, a 2018 first rounder. It would have to be early to make sense. And then two undervalued top 24 Dynasty running backs think C.J. Procise, Amir Abdullah, Isaiah Crowell, Ty Montgomery, Duke Johnson, Bilal Powell. Pretty much 
multiple backs anywhere from Derrick Henry to Theo Riddick on our rankings. Go to our rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. You can see where we have all the running backs ranked. And there's a bunch of running backs in that 10 to 20 zone that we're higher on than many others. And some people might think about that trade and go, no, you can't do that. Some of the running backs you just listed, Duke Johnson, Bilal Powell, those are replacement level guys. And I would respond, no, 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 no. All the running backs I listed are grossly undervalued right now, which is why they were in the hypothetical trade. And none of this would even be a discussion if Ben Roethlisberger was not on the verge of retirement. That was the impetus for this discussion intellectual exercise because look at what happened to Demarius Thomas when Peyton Manning's play dramatically deteriorated that was two years ago two years ago Demarius Thomas and Antonio Brown had a similar dynasty ADP do you remember those days Nate yeah I do remember those days so Antonio Brown was the impetus for the thought experiment but then as we started talking about this hypothetical trade it ceased being about Antonio Brown that was what was so fascinating to me It became more about Doug Baldwin, and it became more about the larger concept of brand equity in Dynasty League football. But as what so often happens with the discussions that we have on this show, the listeners chose to focus on the specific players we listed off the cuff on the broadcast. You can't trade Antonio Brown for Doug Baldwin and a pick and a bunch of guys. Well, forget the players for a second. That's not what's interesting. If you want to see where we have players ranked, check out our rankings, as I mentioned before. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. The more interesting conversation is about brand equity and how some players' value is propelled by their name. Look at what's happened with Demarius Thomas versus Antonio Brown just in the last two years. In 2015, Demarius Thomas scored 17 fantasy points per game with some of the worst quarterback play we've seen. And yet now we're in a place where no one would think of putting Demarius Thomas and Antonio Brown in the same tier. Antonio Brown's brand equity has only grown from there. He's becoming mythological. We're now in a place where the name Antonio Brown is just such a loaded name. Just like Darius Hayward Bay is a loaded name on the other side of the spectrum. It's now almost impossible to have a rational conversation about either Antonio Brown or Darius Hayward Bay because there's so much love or hate that's built into the names. But when emotion leaks into the equation, that's actually the best time to make a dynasty trade. And my argument was not that you need to get rid of Antonio Brown because now's the time to sell. Now's not the time to sell Antonio Brown. He has eight more productive years left, at least. I wouldn't be surprised if Antonio Brown's playing at age 40. But it's about Doug Baldwin. Now is the time to strike on Doug Baldwin. That's where the conversation led. Because on playerprofiler.com, we have a roll-up metric called quality score. It looks at all the metrics that we have on playerprofiler.com and rolls them all up. One overarching quality score. The score to end all scores. And for veterans like Doug Baldwin and Antonio Brown, that score is primarily determined by the player's target share, what is the target volume that they command in their offense, and their efficiency. Do you want to know who the top two players in the NFL are in quality score in the playerprofiler.com database? And by the way, you can get access to the quality scores 
by subscribing to our data analysis tool. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis. And there you can download all the players and every metric in the database. Quality score just happens to be available only for premium subscribers that have access to the data analysis tool. Now, who do you believe with the top two wide receivers in the NFL right now on Player Profiler's quality score metric, Nate? I am going to take a wild guess and guess Antonio Brown and Doug Baldwin. Yes! It's not that we hate Antonio Brown. It's that Doug Baldwin is criminally undervalued in Dynasty right now. And he's younger than Antonio Brown. And he has a stable quarterback situation for the remainder of his career. Doug Baldwin has less risk. And you could argue has similar upside as well because it wasn't that long ago, the second half of 2015, that Doug Baldwin was the number one wide receiver in all of fantasy. Yet for some reason, he still utterly lacks brand equity. When presented with that hypothetical trade that I laid out for you, most people just reflex reaction say, oh, give me the Antonio Brown side. Because they're looking at the name and that Antonio Brown name is just so charged with positive feelings. But for some reason, the Doug Baldwin name is neutral. It doesn't inspire any positive feelings. Even though he's number two in our database in quality score. Has been an exceptional wide receiver the last two years. Just like Antonio Brown. And he projects to take another step forward this season. Where last year, we already saw Antonio Brown start to take a step backward. What do you think of that trade, Nate? There's a lot of projections that have to go into this trade. It's one of the biggest factors of it. And it works in a couple places. One for Antonio Brown, you have to talk about Ben Roethlisberger just like you did. How many years does he have Roethlisberger left with him? Because when we've seen Vic back there and other quarterbacks, Antonio Brown disappears at times. And and that can really hurt his value. We've seen good receivers in this league not have success because of poor quarterback play. So that's a big deal for Antonio Brown, number one. Right. Antonio Brown, like Jerry Rice, needs his Steve Young for the second half of his career. He may get it. Des Bryant got Dak Prescott. But even with Dak Prescott, Des Bryant was not the wide receiver one we had been accustomed to. So that's a big if. Will the Steelers somehow find Ben Roethlisberger's one-for-one replacement? It's a tough ask. Yeah, and it's probably going to have to be a veteran quarterback. And not to get into this, I heard a statistic about the hit rate on quarterbacks, and it's like 38% when drafting rookies. So it's a long shot without bringing in somebody. But here's the deal. The other part of the projection is, what about these running backs that you brought up? The CJ Procise, the Amir Abdullah. I really like Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry has the upside of potentially a top five, top eight running back in this league. So if you get a guy like that out of this deal, like the trade you talked about earlier where you netted David Johnson and other players that obviously at the time were being undervalued. Right. And when they hit, they hit so significantly that it outweighs everything. Well, look at that trade I did before, right? Just take David Johnson out of it. In a two-quarterback league, Marcus Mariota is drafted within 10 slots in startups of Antonio Brown and Julio Jones. Then you add Terrell Pryor, you add Golden Tate, a fair deal even without David Johnson. That doesn't mean I would do it, just like the trade I outlined with Ben Cummins. Not necessarily a trade I would do, but it's a thought experiment trying to find the trade that would be considered 
fair if you're not including a wide receiver in the exchange on the other side that is viewed as a tier one wide receiver. Most people do not view Doug Baldwin as a tier one wide receiver. That's why the trade was interesting to me, because I think the way you would trade Antonio Brown without tanking, like UTH would advocate for, is to get another super productive and efficient wide receiver in his prime in exchange whose brand equity is a fraction of Antonio Brown's brand equity, and then you can add these other assets on top that could potentially pop in the future like David Johnson did for me a couple years ago. There's not a significant drop-off between Doug Baldwin and Antonio Brown. It's not as significant. What? No! (laughs) They're in different tiers, Nate! The, the, The tiers! The tiers! Antonio Brown's in tier one! Doug Baldwin's in tier two. No, you can't combine the tiers. Doug Baldwin will never be a tier one wide receiver. Never. Never. (laughs) Blasphemy. How dare you call Doug Baldwin a tier one wide receiver. He's Uh, Doug fucking Baldwin. He's just a guy. So out of control. If you factor in that Antonio Brown was seeing roughly two and a half to three more targets per game. If Doug Baldwin was to secure one more catch for, say, 15, 18 yards, the difference between their production from game to game is a point and a half, two points. So when you're already looking at an average like that, and then you add in all these other potential hits, a Derrick Henry, a high first-round pick in 2018, other ways to lock it up. Remember, well, forget Derrick Henry. A lot of people also have an irrational affinity for Derrick Henry. Make it one of the other running backs we mentioned. Sure. Make it Isaiah Crowell and Ty Montgomery. Sure, and that's fine too. I mean, you're getting the upside. In the end, it's about scoring more points than your opponent. If you're a deficient team at running back and there's an opportunity to pick up a player that can be productive, then you do it. The issue, though, for people is they look at a guy like Ty Montgomery and they go, oh, but how long is he going to be viable in the league? Two years? Who knows? He could be great. He could be an RB1 this year. He looks the part of Green Bay's bell cow. 215 pounds, coming off one of the most efficient seasons by a running back in the NFL last season. Incredible yards after contact numbers, incredible juke rate, great catch rate with the size. So he checks all those boxes in all phases that you're looking for in a bell cow. He's what we wanted Lamar Miller to be. So that's the type of player you're targeting in these kinds of trades where your opponent thinks it's just a throw in. I got to get Antonio Brown. I got to get Antonio Brown. He's so good. I love him. The name Antonio Brown. It's in lights. It fulfills all my fantasies. Yeah, it's not that crazy of a trade. I know that we said we were going to keep this episode positive and we wanted to keep it chipper in here. Let's get away from the bad week we had. But I don't know if you know this, but did you know that Jeff Miller actually commented on this trade? Don't care, Nate. Have no idea. He's not in my main feed on my tweet deck. I really don't have any idea what he's saying and don't care. Well, I realize you don't care, but I feel like it's my duty. I don't know why you're doing this. It's important that this sort of information gets out there after this conversation we've had because we agree collectively that this isn't that crazy of an idea, that you could potentially put this together and make sense of it. Yes, because you're getting your opponent to add what he considers throw-ins that you consider valuable assets because he's chasing the brand equity of Antonio Brown and he doesn't realize everything he's giving up. 
Ah, uh, yeah. So Jeff Miller would tend to disagree. I don't care about that. That's not something I'm interested in. I'm not interested in Jeff Miller's opinions on anything. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read it anyways. Why? I know you don't want to hear it. No. How do I shut the podcast off at this point? You're going to have to shut the whole internet down. I'm just a reporter doing his job, Matt. Uh, Jeff Miller, and I quote, people are actually fucking insane. That was in response to the trade poll? It, it was. That came back 50-50 in that hypothetical? Yes. Yes, That that's the one. <laughs> this, this fucking guy. Uh-oh. No, I'm not going to do it. You know, he wrote about our, our show on his Twitter timeline. Is that right? Uh, yeah, he had some comments to make about our show. That is indeed a fact, Matt. Give me a couple minutes. Tell the audience about Maisie while I read Jeff Miller's timeline. All right. that's a, This is a good time to do it, folks. Um, show is no longer uh, chipper. Let's talk about Maisie for a minute. Uh, Maisie is a great app. We've talked about it each and every week on this show. We use it in the Patrons League. It's easy to log into. You just get a code, log into your group, and from there, you can simply add as many members as you want. We, we use it in our Dynasty Leagues. I use it in my own personal Dynasty Leagues. We love it. It's easy to communicate. It gives you the same ability to direct message and make trades on the side. It's just an easy way to make sure that the whole league can meet in one place and you can avoid multiple emails, annoying text messages, Facebook Messenger. I don't even know if anybody uses that anymore. And We talked about this before. Voxer. What year was Voxer made? I don't even know what that is. I've never even used Voxer. Somebody tweet me what Voxer is. I have no idea what that is. Nonetheless, Maisie is changing the game for fantasy football. And Matt and I both heavily advocate for leagues to go ahead and change your old ways of doing things. And look up Maisie. It's in your Apple store or the Android store. Very easy to find. That's M-A-Z-E-Y. Maisie. Add it to your league. You will thank us in the future. What's up, Matt? Have you found what you were looking for? So I finished reading his timeline. My first instinct reading Jeff Miller's timeline, oh, this guy, anger swept over me. But suddenly now I feel a tranquility because I realized nobody cares what Jeff Miller thinks. And I don't know why anyone would. Jeff Miller does not have a podcast episode to his credit that I've ever heard anyone talk about or an article to his credit that I've ever read or heard anyone talk about. He does not have a single memorable position on a player or draft strategy in all of fantasy football. It's like he was never here as a fantasy analyst. Oh, maybe the always helpful, make sure you draft good players. Yes, yes. We, can, we can credit Jeff Miller with that one. Thanks, Jeff. Forgot that I need to draft good players. Appreciate you. That's the draft concept on Jeff Miller's fantasy analysis resume. He's the Robin Gibb of fantasy football. His name's familiar, but I'm not sure why. So I get to the bottom of his timeline, and I realize, wow, Jeff Miller's not very good at fantasy football analysis, but he's very good at firing off lame tweets when he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> oh my God. You mean like from last week, Matt, this tweet right here from King Jeff Miller? I need some time to process all of it, but at Fantasy Mansion and at Outrage Jew using their platform to savage a follower is disgusting. <gasps> no, no, hold on. There's more. <gasps> I get Matt's shtick, but when the arrogance reaches a point where you think it is okay to do what he did, it is too much. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Okay, but hold on. There's there's more here. There's more. Let's let's go one more. I have asked Nate to drop the Jeff Miller thing from their podcast as well. I'd rather not have my name mentioned on that schlock. (laughs) (laughs) Request denied. (laughs) Did he refer to Stalker Frank as a follower in one of those tweets? Or am I mistaken? No, I believe he did. I believe that is indeed a fact. It's a savage, a follower. Maybe he means like follow, you know, like follows you, like a stalker. No, if you're thrown out of the community and blocked on every social media platform, you're not a follower. And by the way, did he need more time or not? Because he started this by saying, I need some time to process all of this. Because, oh, Jeff, it's very complicated what we do on the Sonic Truth podcast. Need to process it. Yes. He needed more time to process it, but he knew within the amount of time it took to write that one tweet, he already knew it was disgusting, right? So I need time to process this, but I know it's disgusting. Let me just get that out right now. I know it's disgusting. At a minimum, we know it's disgusting, but I need more time. I need more time to process so I know what I really think of the show, right? <laughs> it's disgusting, and they're arrogant, and it's reprehensible, schlock. <laughs> reprehensible. Schlock! He called our show Schlock, Nate! Schlock! I don't even know what Schlock means! I had to go to the dictionary. I take a lot of pride in having a robust vocabulary. One that would certainly dwarf Jeff Miller. And yet, here I am, looking up words Jeff Miller's using on Twitter! It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing! I'm embarrassed! I was embarrassed. Was. Because I found the definition of slock, and it it was enlightening. Cheap or inferior goods. Trash. That is the official definition, according to dictionary.com, for schlock. And I'm looking at Jeff Miller's timeline, and it's all starting to make sense. Because as it turns out, he sells used goods online. That's what he does when he's not slandering podcasts on Twitter. (laughs) He literally sells schlock. He's a schlock connoisseur. <laughs> oh, he's, t- he's using it against them. So, of course, he knows what it is. I didn't feel bad once I found that out. I was like, oh, this guy's a schlock connoisseur. Of course he knows the definition. I no longer feel bad that there's a word in the English language for which Jeff Miller knows the definition, and I do not. Because that's his expertise. Jeff Miller is a schlock merchant who thinks our fantasy football show is schlock. <laughs> Now, I heard from you that earlier in the week that Jeff Miller had some harsh words for us. So I thought I'd get out ahead of it. I actually DM'd him because we follow each other. I just have him in this other channel that I never look at (laughs) because his analysis is useless. I DM'd him and I said, uh, I understand you're upset. You misrepresented a situation that occurred on our podcast. Here's my phone number. I'm happy to explain it. He never called. You surprised by that? No, that that doesn't that doesn't surprise me in the least. Looking at my phone right now. No missed calls from Jeff Miller, no texts, no voicemails, nothing. He has not reached out Nate after calling our show disgusting and reprehensible. <laughs> He's not alone, but the fantasy Twitter community is nothing if not overly dramatic. I mean, how sheltered and coddled must one be to use the strongest words in the English language, words typically reserved for genocide and murderous dictators, to describe a fantasy football dynasty podcast? 
So I'm on his timeline, and I found this interesting rationalization for his outrage. Why he was just so compelled to go to Twitter and write tweet after tweet slandering our show. He wrote to someone, I just don't want people to think that I'm in on this. That's why I feel compelled to speak out about the Sonic Truth podcast. I just can't have my name associated with it. He wrote that. (laughs) Yeah, right. How self-important does one person have to be to write that? Your name is a running joke on the show, Jeff. No one, literally not one person on the planet thinks we ask your permission for anything we do on the show. (laughs) Just such an absurd rationalization. This is why I just must speak out about the Sonic Truth, guys. You can imagine us, right? Getting a hold of Jeff Miller, czar of podcasting. (laughs) You know, Jeff, we do randomly use your name in every show as a running joke. So because of that, I want to run this one segment idea by you. So we have this buzzard email. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's the most nonsensical rationalization for lashing out at someone I've ever read. But I have a theory. The real reason why Jeff Miller is so upset. It's the running joke we've been doing using his name on the show. I believe the impetus of the Jeff Miller vitriol-laced anti-Sonic Truth Twitter tirade slash charade. It's a tirade charade, really? (laughs) It's a tirade charade. It's good. It was just the fact we were using his name, and he was tired of it. Jeff Miller didn't like that we used his name as a running joke on the show. The most benign running joke in the history of podcasting, by the way. I think we could all agree on that. That's what actually compelled him to start typing away on Twitter and typing and typing and typing and typing. I mean, do you think it's a coincidence that of the... 5,500 listeners we've had to date of the last episode that the most vocal critic is the exact person whose name we used as a running joke on the show, Nate? No, no, not at all. Not statistically speaking. Statistically speaking. It stretches to the outer limits of plausibility, statistically speaking. And someone challenged him on this. We have savvy show listeners who are challenging Jeff Miller's authenticity. And do you know what he wrote back to that person? No, 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 no. I don't think there was any malicious intent. I can take a joke. (laughs) Clearly not. Clearly you can't, Jeff. I think that's the whole point. And there's more. Everywhere I look on Jeff Miller's timeline, I see leaking credibility. Jeff Miller's Sonic Truth show pundit credibility was further lessened when he forwarded the link to the show. Thank you, Jeff, by the way, helping increase our listenership. He forwarded the link with the caveat, I'm not a listener, but someone forwarded this show to me, so I listened to it just this one time. Sure, Jeff. Sure. Yeah, just this one time. Just I'm going to dip my toe in the water just this once. Just this <laughs> once. Just to see how it feels. Just to see... I just heard they're using my name, and there's some controversial sentiments about Tim Torch and UTH. Just curious. Just this one time. Sure, Jeff. Don't worry, buddy. Hate listeners are people, too. You're cool. We love hate listeners. We got a lot of them. Just go to Twitter, type in Matt Kelly, find some hate listeners of the show. (laughs) Welcome. iTunes still counts you in the download numbers. Yeah, the beauty is that people like Jeff Miller are only serving to introduce us to new people with their grandstanding, hyperbolic, nonsense tweets. Because there isn't one person on planet Earth who is thinking, gee, you know, 
You know, I used to like Nate and Matt. Used to be a good show they had. Pretty clever, funny, yeah, informative and entertaining. Used to like that show. (laughs) But Jeff Miller changed my mind with his lame tweet storm. That person doesn't exist, Nate. Everyone already knows we do a uniquely polarizing show, and all our listeners know that we relish in confronting and exposing trolls. It provides at least a strand of accountability, and it provides great content. That's why we will always confront the trolls on this show. And Jeff Miller's lame Twitter scolding only emboldens us and grows our audience. It's true. (laughs) Sorry, Jeff. We're like that superhero where when you punch him, he just grows and gets stronger. And when you (laughs) shoot him, he just gets bigger and stronger. So now having read the timeline, I know exactly what the haters are saying about us. It seems that the show's small contingent of haters huddled together in front of their computers and decided that I'm a bully, Nate. That's the universal accusation. Bully! Get him! Unsubscribe! Except you're not unsubscribing. You're listening in higher numbers than ever. And anyone who can think for themselves with common sense knows that calling attention to a troll's creepy behavior or Tim Torch's passive-aggressive message board post is not bullying. And anyone that thinks that that's bullying doesn't know what bullying is. Let's put it in context. Do you remember what Dr. Dre said to Eazy-E on The Chronic? Do you remember? Remember that famous album, Dr. Dre, The Chronic? Yes. Go on. Go on. Gap teeth in your mouth... So my dicks got to fit. Gap teeth in your mouth. So my dicks got to fit, Nate. That's genius. Got my nuts on your tonsils. Got my nuts on your tonsils, Nate. Dr. Dre's nuts were on Easy Yee's tonsils. It's breaking news. Right here. Dr. Dre makes our UTH beef look like an animal balloon show. (laughs) It's true. So was Dr. Dre a bully? Should we stop listening to the chronic? What are you talking about? I'm also being accused of shaming. That's the action that bully Matt Kelly participated in. Shaming, yes. She shaming. There's no shame in my game. And the last show wasn't even about Tim Torch or Hunter Henry. There was a larger issue that I was drawing attention to. Offer spamming. But that's what we love to do on the show. Zoom out. Draw your attention to the larger issue. Talk about the more interesting dynamics. That's what we do. Yet so often, so many love to focus on the minutia. But that's what we do on this show. We know how to draw them in. We know how to lay the chum down in the water. Beefs, yes. And then we trap them. And they have to listen to our more important discussions of roster construction philosophy, as we did last year with UTH, criticizing tanking. But we cloaked it in a movie trailer. And the larger issue that we wanted to bring attention to in the last show was offer spamming. And we've done exactly that. Now, more and more, people are coming to realize that offer spamming is frowned upon. You don't want to be that guy that bothers people with hundreds of sham offers. That's the UTH way, and it's annoying. When you diss Matt Kelly, you diss yourself, motherfuckers. <laughs> I don't know why I threw that in there. I just thought, why not? But it is funny how these 
fits of lame Twitter outrage directed at us always seem to help us highlight a larger problem. Jeff Miller's faux outrage, to me, highlights the fact that we are collectively struggling to come to terms with internet anonymity and real bullying. When the lame Twitter firestarters classify every aggressively toned message on a podcast as bullying, the term bullying loses all its meaning, Nate. It's why crying wolf is so dangerous. I had this conversation with my daughter just recently because it's a big deal. Crying wolf was such a big problem, they made it into a fable for Christ's sake. But it's a good thing Jeff Miller is around. The final arbiter of bullying, tweeting from a perch of cowardice and ignorance. In that brief DM interaction that I spoke of earlier, where Jeff Miller refused to call me because he knows that I know that he's full of shit, Mr. Schlock wrote, I've had a stalker, and here's how I handled it, Matt. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a stalker expert. Didn't you know that, Matt? (laughs) And if you're not handling stalkers the way that Jeff Miller handles stalkers, you're doing it wrong. Jeff Miller is every hindsight-biased YouTube commenter I've ever had play the result on me. He's the troll king! You called Jeff Miller King Miller earlier? Yes. He is the king. He's the troll king. (laughs) Troll king. Yes, he is the king of the trolls. He's (laughs) pro-troll, Nate. And you never want to be pro-troll. Because in Mr. Schlock's world, I must quietly abide trolls. Not reach out to any of my friends in the community when I feel threatened by them. And not so much as utter a troll's Twitter handle in public. Oh no, that would be wrong. No, I can't do that. What kind of weird troll Stockholm Syndrome is that, by the way, Jeff? Um, uh, Would you mind if I tell anyone about you? I mean, you're scaring me with aggressive, obsessive behavior... But I don't want to give Jeff Miller an excuse to send 50 more tweets laced with fake outrage. (laughs) (laughs) How about this? How about this? One day, and I understand that one day will never come because Jeff Miller is generally uninteresting. But hypothetically, Jeff, if one day you are besieged by trolls on a daily basis, as I am, I give you permission to give your opinion on how to handle them. Hypothetically. And the other funny thing is, if you go back and listen to the transcript of the last show, if anything, we were on the defensive, not the offensive. But I think it's our swaggering delivery that makes it seem like we're playing offense when we're actually playing defense. What do you think about that theory? Mm. I've never heard that before, but that makes sense. It's a polarizing show. We have a lot of confidence. We come in guns blazing. We're undefeated. And I'm on Jeff Miller's timeline, and he alludes to this. He said, Matt Kelly's arrogant shtick has gone too far. Start to piece this together, right? The roots of Jeff Miller's outrage are becoming apparent. The troll king is revealed. Because everyone knows this isn't a shtick. This is what I've been doing for years, turning the tables on the trolls, on air, playing aggressive defense against the trolls. That's what I do. That's what you do. And we're never going to stop doing this. But this is how we get to a place that Jeff Miller is caping up for literally anyone who makes me uncomfortable. Any enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's where he's coming from. And on open social media platforms like Twitter, Mr. Schlock and his little hater mob can rise up with torches. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. I, I saw that. See what I did yeah. there? No, that was good. That was good. It was well played. 
but this is why when you try to engage me now, Nate, on Twitter, oftentimes I won't respond. I've stopped just replying to all tweets. If you at me, you don't know. Maybe I'll reply, maybe I won't. Probably not. More often than not, if you're a stranger, I'll write back, hey, you really should engage me on Patreon. Because Patreon is a closed platform. It's not an open platform like Twitter. There we're on equal footing and we have to use our real names. That's a safe space. We have to use Patreon to have conversations because the trolls of the world are ruining open platforms like Twitter for everyone. And by the way, everyone that likes this show and wants to engage me should go to patreon.com, type in Podfather, and join the community. It's incredible. There are conversations happening on Patreon right now about the Antonio Brown trade that Nate and I referenced earlier. I'm spending more and more time on Patreon and less and less time on Twitter because of all the problems we've just talked about. On Twitter, you don't know who the fuck you're talking to half the time. And that's why I don't engage strangers on open social platforms any longer. It's just not worth my time and it can be unsettling. So why do it? One of the great problems in the history of social media is the ability to be anonymous. I think it's the great problem. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Especially on Twitter. It used to be that everyone could be looked up in the phone book. I'm old enough to remember the days of the phone book. But now, scary people are able to set up anonymous email and Twitter accounts and send out aggressive messages to instill fear and embarrass others. And the ability to instill fear and embarrass others anonymously is a very modern problem. I did not grow up in an era with this problem. We're all collectively trying to figure out how to cope with it. And one of the ways... To manage this problem is to require real names and addresses before you interact, like a small town where everyone is in the phone book. This is why I'm moving a lot of my communications to Patreon, because it offers a safe space. And when you feel threatened by scary behavior, you can confront and expose those people to the light of day. And an even larger issue is that troll anonymity suppresses freedom of speech and creativity. It removes accountability and it supports the anarchists' perspective. Anarchists love Twitter. It's the best thing that ever happened in the history of anarchy. And that's the idea that Jeff Miller is supporting. This idea that we need to maintain our right to electronically set fire to everybody and everything. But the issue with anarchy is everyone ultimately lives in fear of speaking their mind, and that's the place that we're headed. Fuck it, we're already there. Creators of content are fleeing from platforms like Twitter every day. How many people have you talked to, Nate, that shut down their Twitter account and just said, you know what, enough's enough? A, a couple of them, and it seems like more are doing it, just like you said. Yet there's still this strange right to anonymity that I sense on social media. And it's such a bizarre entitlement to me. Yes, exceptions should be made. If a person feels threatened, that person should be able to remain anonymous on social media. But there has to be a catch. If you're going to benefit from this cloak of anonymity, you cannot abuse it by trolling others and threatening others. That's an important catch. You can be anonymous. You can be a dick like I am. But you can't be anonymous and be a dick. That's what I object to. I would have no problem if at the very least every social media platform 
required users to reference their real name. That would eliminate a significant amount of the hostile communications that swirl around this planet and drag down our collective morale and throttle creativity. It's not your inalienable right to send explicit, derogatory, or threatening electronic messages anonymously. It's just not. And if you're standing up for that fake right, who are you protecting? The trolls. Welcome to Jeff Miller's America. <laughs> I think we're going to look back in 20 years, Nate, completely perplexed. Say, wait a minute. We sat idly by watching others anonymously harassed, creators of content fleeing electronic platforms. Wait, that was allowed? When Twitter goes away, it will not be replaced by another social media platform. It will be crowded out by private online communities that strip away Twitter's scary anonymity and raise the bar of social discourse. Again, go to Patreon.com, search Podfather, and donate today. <laughs> the bottom line is, Jeff Miller is on the wrong side of history, standing up for the rights of anonymous trolls who are a play and make everyone's experiences in a connected world worse. Do you have anything to add, Nate? Yeah, I got something to say, Matt. So I'm confused. Now Jeff Miller is choosing war? After last week when Timmy became the Human Torch? Jeff, I know you told me you wanted to be ignored, but I reserve that right for your takes on sports. Imagine the irony of the avatar you have set. A private investigator, but Jeff needs his facts checked. So the next time you've got an opinion that lacks depth, why don't you make like Tom Selleck and stash it? Now before you get mad online again with something to say, here's a few of the facts that you forgot to convey. Yes, I did write for UTH way back in the day and Matt was fired from Rant Sports before he was made. I have seen every Harry Potter and I think they were great and Matt did lose a testicle in a fight with a snake but this is just the beginning Jeffrey so don't run away there's way more embarrassing shit I'm ready to say. I do have bad vision and need corrective lenses to drive. Matt did shit his pants once during a roller coaster ride. Admittedly I still have notes from my crush in fifth grade and Matt does still think it's cool to cruise on roller blades. I do go to bed with a pair of cotton socks on and all jokes aside matt has an std problem wait what he also won't admit it to the mass of his listeners but he did tell me once he fell in love with a stripper so that sort of history mixed with the small hands and feet plus his ibs issue that flares when he eats as for myself i'm a penny pinching porn fiend which scours the internet for nickel price porn scenes the dirtier the better i won't waste my time with boring give me midgets give me costumes and one with four sheep now jeff go back to that ergo computer chair and write more lame tweets for the few that'll actually care and Say what you will, but our laundry's been aired. Now there's nothing embarrassing left you can share. your mouth 
so my dicks got to fit. Gap teeth in your mouth, so my dicks got to fit, Nate. Got my nuts on your tonsils, Nate. Our podcast is undefeated. The last thing you can expect from the Sonic Truth podcast is when you try to publicly take a shit on us and then ask us for a favor, like not to mention you. (laughs) That is not happening. Jeff really laid into us. He just keeps screaming into the darkness. He's in an echo chamber with a handful of other haters, and they're just screaming, and their voices are just bouncing off the walls, echoing, and we're just laughing. What more is he going to say? Yeah, it's like seven people involved. It's, it's a very small movement. It's a merry band, except it's not merry at all. They're very angry. It's an angry band. Yes, they are. They're pissed. They waste hours and hours of productivity chasing their faux outraged tail. There's nothing going on out there. You've got Jeff Miller holding a torch, standing up on a wooden crate, and about five people with pitchforks, and that's it. There's nothing. I hate Matt Kelly. Yeah. These are people that were blocked a year ago. They've been blocked and bitter for over a year now. It's the same people in the community, and I'm like, oh, that guy? I know that guy. That guy hates my guts, and I never think about him. I'm just bemused by this whole thing because I don't take any of it seriously. Is we can go on here and we can express ourselves, and if people object to it, well, they can scream and cry and jump up and down, but they can't stop us from expressing ourselves. I like how he went out and publicly said, I have asked Nate to drop the Jeff Miller thing from their pod as well. Jeff Miller thinks he's the director of the podcast FBI. To watch someone take this so seriously and be so indignant and so self-righteous. The absurdity is a marvel to behold. All because he's mad at us. It's all reverse engineered. It's, it's very easy to play pop psychologist and look back and go, oh yeah, you were a running joke on our show and now you finally found the little nugget that you think we broke internet decorum and you're gonna get us. I got these guys. You could see him in his lab, right? Oh yeah. Waiting and waiting and waiting for a chance to strike, to try to take us down like a wily e. Coyote. Ha! I like to imagine Jeff Miller in a white tank top in a room sitting at a table next to a transistor radio smoking cigarettes (laughs) just clenching his fists listening to our show surrounded by used toys uh it's probably not far off i don't think you're wrong he got his wish we gave him something to rant about and he ranted about it and our downloads went up Whatever I hear that Jeff Miller's mad at us again, I always envision him seething in this room full of used toys. The Wiley Coyote reference is good. I do picture him on the uh, the T handle of the dynamite igniter. Yeah. <laughs> and just the just the backfire. We'll get these guys. They keep mentioning my name on their podcast and laughing at it. I'm gonna get them. Like you said, there's empathy for Tim Torch. For Jeff Miller, there's a lot of people that are probably like, shut up. You're not tweeting anything of value. Yeah, Pope Miller. Pope slash FBI Director Miller. Isn't Jeff Miller a renaissance man? Isn't he one of the leading intellectuals? Not just fantasy football, but anywhere? Oh, jeez. Doesn't Malcolm Gladwell run all of his book ideas by Jeff Miller? That's good, like our show sheets. He's just so busy, he doesn't have time to look at everything. 
No, we do run our show sheets by Jeff Miller. We have to. We bow at the feet of Pope Miller. He just has so much intellectual firepower at his disposal, Jeff Miller does. Such a broad and deep and rich understanding of decorum, of right and wrong, justice. This guy is someone that you never want to be on the wrong side of. And he has a Twitter account. You will use it! Jeff Miller is every hindsight-biased YouTube commenter I've ever had play the result on me. Somewhere in my diatribe is Welcome to Jeff Miller's America. <laughs> god damn. That's so goddamn good. Never in the history of Twitter has a Twitter beef not been lame. Passive-aggressive, lame shots, which is what he specializes in. Dirtball. That's going in the outtakes, but that's the first time in this entire show, you calling him a dirtball, that we called him a name. We simply responded to his actions until you called him a dirtball. We couldn't end the show without you at least calling him a name. But that's the one insult that we're going to lob. Dirtball. The Eminem quote, people don't like the things that he says, but just imagine what they would think if they heard the things that he said that they decided to delete. And my verse before I settled on this one would have been controversial. So... I deleted it and, and went more with the uh, standards of Sonic Truth, which some people believe don't exist. Yeah, what standards? We have the standards for decorum? We're just a bunch of name-calling bullies, Nate. And I remember you fist-pumping when you got Mark Ingram. <laughs> Seems like just yesterday. <laughs> Lateral trades are the equivalent of the jerk-off motion. Our wives are martyrs. I am going to take a wild guess and guess Antonio Brown and Doug Baldwin. Ding, 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 Yes! There's not a significant drop-off between Doug Baldwin and Antonio Brown. It's not as significant. What? No! They're in different tiers, Nate! The, 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 the tiers! The tiers! Antonio Brown's in tier one! Doug Baldwin's in tier two! No, you can't combine the tiers! Doug Baldwin will never be a tier one wide receiver. Never! Never! <laughs> Blasphemy! <laughs> How dare you call Doug Baldwin a tier one wide receiver? He's Doug fucking Baldwin. He's just a guy. <laughs> so out of control. I refuse to listen to any conversation in which Doug Baldwin and Antonio Brown are considered in the same tier. Blasphemy! I gotta get Antonio Brown. I gotta get Antonio Brown. He's so good. I love him. The name Antonio Brown. It's in lights. It fulfills all my fantasies. Make sure you draft good play. Yeah, we can credit Jeff Miller with that one. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Miller's not very good at fantasy football analysis, but he's very good at firing off lame tweets when he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Yes! He called our show Schlock, Nate. Schlock! We're like that superhero where when you punch him, he just grows and gets stronger. <laughs> what? And when you shoot him, he just gets bigger and stronger. Yes! Dr. Dre makes our UTH beef look like an animal balloon show. Yes! When you diss Matt Kelly, you diss yourself, motherfuckers. <laughs> I don't know why I threw that in there. I just thought, why not? 
Welcome to Jeff Miller's America. God, the Jeff Miller's America, though, is the greatest part of everything. It's so good! It's so good! It's just so good! The top selling thing! Investigate this! Yes! In the deepest recesses of my mind, I feel bad. Why? Because I can see Jeff Miller just seething. Just get the fuck off the train tracks, then. (laughs) (laughs) He decided to stand there. (laughs) The Troll King. Troll King. Welcome to Jeff's America. Somewhere in the title of this episode, there's a letter E. Will you put a three there? Because maybe he'll be like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, you got to make sure you get a three in the name so that if anyone tries to Google me, my Twitter handle doesn't come up because I'm embarrassed about what I write. Yes! If Jeff Miller were king, he'd come and visit me every week in the dungeon. You get the Theon Greyjoy treatment. Oh, no! Come on, man. That's going too far. It's a Pulp Fiction situation. It felt like a court case. That's what I'm saying. Like, you built a case, and you kept coming back around, and you made all these little points to set up, you know, the resolution of it. And then you got to the end, and you just, you had your the whole thing at the end, tied it all back together. And then the Jeff Miller's America. Yes!